Welcome back, witches and other cottage folk. You've just entered the storm-encircled northern Ozarks. Our cottage huddles near the summit of a high, water-drenched hill, not far from the churning clouds and zigzagging lightning bolts stalled not too much higher above. Look around. You'll find sheltering barn swallows and trout swimming down in the river depths, as well as sodden sheepdogs, an overflowing toadstool birdbath, and five-year-old children at play in the puddles. I've put the kettle on and have crushed some lovely aromatic lemon balm leaves from the herb garden to steep as we talk. That should warm us on this soggy and blustery overcast summer's day. Come on inside now, dry off, and enjoy a visit with me, Hester Makepeace, the Cottage Witch. Today is Wednesday, June 30th, and we've had a week full of storms and rain here in the Ozarks. So much so that I've had a brief electricity outage and significant modem and internet issues. But now, today, with all of the lightning finally passed, it seems the perfect time to hop back online and talk about raising energy. Sometimes it's literally all around, but at other times it seems the psychic well has run dry. That doesn't have to be the case, however, especially when working with spells, rituals, and practices that you've written and created yourself. And don't panic. As with most of my cottage witchery, this does not have to be complicated. First off, let's just explore the basic format of a spell. Have you ever noticed how a recipe has steps? <laughs> of course you have, and so does a spell. Ever notice how a recipe also has basic categories of ingredients? You know, dry ingredients and wet ingredients, and then rules for combining them together in a certain way, for a certain length of time, in an oven or on a stove, which is set to a recommended heat level? Pretty much every recipe follows this format to some degree. However, as you become a more accomplished, relaxed, or courageous cook, you begin tweaking those things, right? The more times you make that recipe, or any recipe, the more it begins to evolve and become a more personalized experience, but still designed with the same original intention. In this case, to increase your own and possibly others' health and happiness, with the likely side benefit of becoming much more delicious, too, thanks to that addition of your own blend of goodness. Well, cottage folks, every cook is a little witchy, right? Add in a more specific intention to focus on and maybe light a candle or sprinkle in an herb that corresponds to that intention and you've officially become a kitchen witch. I swear to you, spell work is as simple as that or as complicated. Sometimes spell work is a cup of tomato soup and a toasted ham and cheese sandwich that comforts both you and a sad child. Sometimes it's a whole damn Thanksgiving Day dinner with all the bells and whistles which may actually begin to heal a family rift. Whatever your spiritual bent, both are holy events. The sweet and simple as well as the complex and layered. As they project your intention to whatever degree of energy you put into it to mend emotional or spiritual wounds, be they small daily struggles or major life upheavals. Whether you realize it or not, when you sit down with a warm mug of soup and a toasted cheese sandwich, you are raising some healing energy, calming, hopeful, wistful, and sweet. I may pair that with some honeysuckle and lavender wax melts and ask Alexa to share some soft Celtic background music, but kitchen witchery especially doesn't necessarily require anything extra. 
and the right mindset and your own gentle voice will conjure all the comforting energy you need to begin dispelling both weather-related and emotional storm clouds or whatever other daily craft work needs doing. Recipes and spell work both follow easily recognizable patterns and can do just as well or even better with substituted ingredients. Once you see and understand the patterns, you can follow someone else's spell suggestions much more easily and also make your own with real confidence and even do something sort of in between those two by making your own substitutions to the spells you find in books or online. Substitutions that will likely work well for you include using materials you already have on hand for those you'd otherwise have to find and purchase, and even working with materials that will help you tweak the original intentions a bit more specifically to better suit your exact needs on any given day or night. Like any good cook, as you make those changes to recipes you found or that are already in your cookbook, make a note in the margin or slip in a piece of paper that records your changes and also the results. When it comes to spell work, that cookbook, by the way, is your book of shadows. If you don't have one, now's the time to start. Thursday and Friday of this week, July 1st and 2nd, begin the last quarter of the moon. Although still fairly bright, its light is waning away for this cycle. So that's the perfect time for planning. In fact, all of these next 10 days or so will be good research time to find, tweak, or create a spell or two you'd like to try right after the coming new moon, which is on Saturday, July 10th. So on Sunday or Monday, when the light is beginning to fill that first crescent of the moon once more and the lunar energy is building, give it a try, cast a spell, and record both your work and the results over the following days. If you'd like, let's get started right now with the planning. First, here's one format for some spell work. There are many versions of the basic recipe, however, and now that you know they exist, you can research them on your own, too. But I like this one quite a bit. It comes from pages two and three of Sophia Di Gregorio's book, How to Write Your Own Spells for Any Purpose and Make Them Work. But I'm paraphrasing and recombining her words a bit and adding in some of my own ideas, too. Still, I want to emphasize that the basic ideas are hers. I'm also going to weave in those old standby reporter questions, the five W's and an H, to help you better focus on the process at each step. That's why, who and what, when and where, and exactly how. Realize that while I'm talking in a bit of detail on each progressive activity, many can be combined or even eliminated, depending on the depth of work you plan to undertake. I'll give you examples of what I mean in the second half. Step number one is a clearly defined objective. This step begins with why. Why are you doing this spell? Step one is your detailed purpose, which is always at the heart of everything you do within the spellcasting, and often very basic but it could also include an entire strategy for accomplishing your goal with layers of workings each month. What outcome do you want? Most spellcasting is about altering external circumstances in the spellcaster's life, and I mean physical, tangible, touchable circumstances far more often than I mean spiritual ones. What exactly do you want to happen? It's ultra important that you be as specific as possible when deciding on your purpose imperative even, leave no room for the universe to interpret this for you. A bad objective is, I want a job. 
a much better wording would likely be, I wish to be hired by the end of this month for the part-time job I just interviewed for yesterday. Hear the difference in that level of specificity? And if you're going for a layered spell, consider adding in circumstances for going forward, perhaps until you are a full-time manager of a specific department within that company. No matter the size of the spell, the process remains fairly consistent. That simple wish to be hired can definitely stand on its own, or it could be just the first step in your plan to much bigger and better outcomes. If you're just beginning to cast spells, keep your scope fairly narrow. It's much easier to manage and also easier to track your progress and even tweak and repeat later if you need to. So step number two is the first and perhaps most important what. What object or trinket might represent the object, situation, or entity to be acted upon? Your goal or its representative, which is called a passive substitution. Examples of this include an effigy, a charm, or the person or thing itself. Do you want that job? In your working, consider including a corporate flyer, a copy or printout of the one ad, a picture of the building, or maybe a Monopoly hotel that suggests that building to you, or anything that includes the corporate logo. Maybe even create a fake paycheck or name badge for yourself to better help you envision the reality of your intended outcome. For other spells, this may include pictures of people, hand-stitched poppets or dolls, a stack of coins, or a matchbox car. Your own imagination and creativity are really the only limits here. Step three is a big one. It's the when and the where and the beginning of the how with a whole lot more what's added in. There can be a lot going on in step three or truthfully, very little. It all depends on your style of practice. Step three is about the action you want to take on the object. This is accomplished by means of an active substitution, which represents the influence you want to bring to bear on the situation, often through the use of candles, colors, potions, incantations, or spoken words. It may also be accomplished by means of an imitative action, which is an act that mimics your intention. Also think about when and where. On what day of the week, they all have associations. If it's an emergency or an imminent event, no day is better than this one. However, if you have time to plan and prepare, then consider these associations. Sunday is ruled by the sun. The elemental correspondence is definitely fire. Spells for success, money, and prosperity, as well as healing, protection, and insight, attraction, empowerment, and fame are all appropriate on a Sunday. Kitchen witchery, because of its strong fire associations with ovens, stoves, and hearth fires, is commonly practiced on Sundays, too. Monday is all about the moon, so it's an especially auspicious day to focus on psychic abilities, divination, emotions, intuition, fertility, healing, and dream work. Tuesday is associated with the planet Mars, the god of war, and fire, so it's a favorable time for energy work, creativity, justice work, and spells for asserting yourself. Wednesday is associated with Mercury, the god who rules over communication. So reconciliation work and spells for speaking well or improving communication skills within a relationship will be enhanced on Wednesday. It's also a good day for personal development and shadow work, as well as writing letters, making phone calls, and scheduling job interviews. Thursday is about expansion and optimism, luck, overcoming obstacles, and all sorts of attraction work, prosperity and finances, 
road opening and uncrossing spells, and any spell work relating to matters of success will be amplified on this day. So do the job interview on Wednesday, and then do the spell work for the job on Thursday. Friday is associated with love, sex, beauty, and fertility. If you want to spice up your relationship, conceive a child, perform a sex magic ritual, attract a new lover, or do a glamour magic spell, Friday's your day. Saturday is associated with Saturn, who rules over limitations and boundaries, as well as responsibility and self-discipline. Spell work that focuses on endings or setting limits, whether with your personal relationships, a career, or a partnership of any kind, as well as banishment and karmic justice, is best reserved for a Saturday. However, it's not just the breakup spell day. Don't forget protection spells and the banishment of negativity, which are also a perfect bit of Saturday work. Along with the day, consider the phases of the moon if you are fueled by lunar energy. I've dealt with these pretty extensively in episodes three and four, but basically, if you want to attract something to you or grow something like money, a new project, or getting a job, use the waxing phases when the light of the moon is increasingly full, from the beginning of the new moon through the fullness of the full moon. If, on the other hand, you want to work with eliminating something, such as illness or negativity, choose the waning phase when the light of the moon is decreasing or draining a little bit more each day, which begins as the full moon is ending and continues until the start of the new moon. But remember, if you want a more extensive breakdown, scroll back to episodes three and four. So what about the time of day? Early morning? High noon? evening, midnight, or 3 a.m., the witching hour, that's up to you and your internal clock. If you feel there's a sympathy between the time of day you do your work and the intention you're going for, by all means, use that. But if not, this is definitely one place where you can just do you. So that's the when of step three. How about the where and the additional what's? Where do you do your workings already? Or where do you believe you'll be the most comfortable? Do you have an altar? Many witches do, but they're not necessary. A little bench or tray can hold everything you might need for the necessary 10 or 15 minutes or longer, if you'd like. Do you prefer to work inside or out? Where do you feel most comfortable as a mundane person? But also important is the sort of environment you feel best exemplifies the results you're looking for in this particular spell. Sympathetic magic has power. If you want a job sitting at a desk, and you have one, that's probably the best place to craft your spell. Do you see yourself driving for your job or driving a long way to reach it? You could do the work in your own vehicle. Sit in the driver's seat and take command. I honestly do my best work at night, in the summertime, in my pool, out beneath the stars. I have a small deck and place an altar platter of the necessary implements on it. What about you? What about all the things? Want to burn a candle? To get that job, let me suggest gold, the color of winning and prosperity, of success. Want to burn a little incense? Patchouli and jasmine are both good for attracting success and money. And add in a cone or stick of vanilla for joy and good fortune, too. What sort of implements do you require for any particular spell? Honestly, that's up to you, too. But yet again, it's mostly about sympathetic magic. Think through colors of candles, yes, and corresponding incense, of course but also a particularly appropriate tarot card or runic inscription, flowers or leaves, 
herbs or spices, crystals, oils, honestly, anything around your house, literally anything can be an effigy item or a sympathetic totem. Want more sweetness in your life for relationship? Use a small bowl of honey or sugar in your spellcasting. Some of that sweetener and a little bit of the hair of the dog that bit you might make your new pet a bit more friendly, along with an obedience class or two. Need a little extra luck? Set two dice out that total seven or eleven. Want an elemental correspondence? A small bowl of soil or salt traditionally represents the element of earth. A small bowl of water is, well, water. My favorite tarot card is temperance. I set it out for spell work quite often, particularly the one from my druid craft tarot because it just speaks to me. Search the internet or the library, get creative, and have some fun with finding correspondences that work for you. And do you need to write out some words? You can, but I tend to go with the flow in the moment. Once I'm in that space and have that energy, the words simply find me. But feel free to write your own or steal someone else's. If they are publishing their words in some way, in any way, they are more than willing to let you use them. And simply thinking your thoughts is all that is truly required. No stress is ever required, which is none. I promise you, assigning your own corresponding items is so much more fun than worrying over the requirements of some other person's spell components and feeling free enough to substitute what you have that just feels right to you is so much more potent than using whatever happens to feel right to someone else. So, on to step four, the how, which is all about raising that energy to charge your intention. We're going to look at Kellyanne Maddox's new book, Rebel Witch, for some really clever and creative ideas. And then we'll talk about step five, grounding all of that energy once we've finished with our work. And at the end, I'll give you quite a few examples of my favorite kind of spells, the simples, the ones that often take less than a minute to complete, but truly empower my days and nights here at Make Peace Cottage. But first, we've got a little break. Welcome back to the cottage. We're talking about the basic steps of most spell work. Remember, step one was getting specific with your goal or intention. Step two is choosing or creating the item that will represent that goal or intention during the spell work. And step three is the fun and juicy middle, picking all of the correspondences to go along with it to begin building the energy. But step four is truly where the magic begins. Step number four now is the battery bonanza, swirling and powering up the energy to set your intentions sailing out into the universe. Depending on both that particular intention and your overall spellcasting style, that could be a subtle flick forward or a resounding fling. Here are some amazing options from Kellyanne Maddox's book, Rebel Witch as they appear on pages 152 and 153 and encompass steps four and five both, charging and then grounding your energy. 
I'm quoting Miss Maddox now, but I can only wish I had the beautiful British accent of this fascinating YouTuber. This is where you're going to get passionate. The powerful energy you raise is going to be gathered up and poured into your desired outcome. So make it count. You can try dancing, drumming, singing, humming, swaying, or chanting. I add playing a musical instrument if you know how. She continues, putting some music on and feeling into its themes and energies, letting it fuel you with belief, motivation, and potency. I love a bit of black metal or minimal techno personally, depending on the type of spell I'm doing. Okay, this is Hester. I love Celtic, anything Celtic, and that's the kind of spell I do. <laughs> Back to Kellyanne. Visualizing powerful energy inside you and all around you, growing and strengthening, changing color, and being there to support you. Using prayer beads, going through them as you repeat an empowering word or mantra, such as, I fire the arrow of my spell toward my true desire, or I am a witch, powerful beyond measure, and my will is sacred. Here are two of mine. I am always connected to the goddess and the universe. The goddess fulfills my every need and my every desire. I know that the universe and the goddess live within me. And this one's my favorite. I carry the fire of profound creativity within me. I have access to the creative power of the universe and the goddess whenever I need it. A good mantra can carry you through a lot of sketchy situations. <laughs> Kellyanne continues. She talks about spraying yourself with a perfume that smells empowering and let the fragrance symbolize your readiness to do the work. You can also use incense or a scented candle. I add that you can definitely use lava bead bracelets dabbed with the essential oil of your choice. And I like to layer them multiple bracelets, each with a different scent. Kellyanne continues, imagining something powerful and inspiring and leaning into that visualization. A raging sea is a good one or a strong animal running through its natural terrain. I've got a couple too. A peaceful, comforting cottage. A stony, burbly creek. Watching a circling bird and like Merlin, take flight and see through its eyes. Kellyanne continues doing a guided meditation for empowerment and strength. And then she says, once you feel sufficiently fizzy, you can begin your spell. You might want to start with an opening statement, expressing your desire and reasons for the working. Then say and do whatever you fancy, saying and doing, to symbolize your desire coming into reality. As you do whatever you've decided on, really focus on what you want and how much you insist that it happens. Spells usually have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You should feel that you've sent the desire-fueled energy into your aim, willing it to become reality. And then once you've completed it, it's time to thank the powers that you called on to help you. If you asked a goddess to oversee and protect your working, express your gratitude to her. And then after spellcasting, you may find you feel spirited and sparkling, filled with the fizzy magical bubbles you shook up to add to your working. That can be lovely, but also a bit weird when trying to step back into the world beyond the circle. So if you still feel charged by that magical energy, 
you can consider, and she lists several alternatives, and these would be step five, grounding that energy. Kellyanne continues, so if you still feel charged by that magical energy, you could consider doing a calming visualization where you imagine your energy gently settling or cooling down. You might want to play some soothing music while doing this. Or you could consider earthing your leftover magical energy, literally directing it into the ground beneath you to be absorbed into the floor or the earth. Consider redirecting the energy into one of your tools or your altar or your altar space in general by holding your open hands over the object and feeling the energy run down your arms and drip off of your fingers to be absorbed. Consider using it. Maybe you want to stay fizzy so you can use that energy to do some cleaning or paperwork, do a workout, or have a phone call with someone you've been meaning to chat to for a while but never seem to have the time. Consider gifting it. You can do this by asking an individual in advance if they would like your magical energy remnants when you finish doing a spell. Or you can gift it as an offering to an ancestor, an icon, or a deity that you work with. Or donate it to the person or group that might need it, such as a nearby women's shelter. Or a friend with chronic pain who's often fatigued. You could try saying, I send this energy to Blink to be used in the service of their visions and for their absolute highest good. Or, I send this energy to Blink as a gesture of thanks for their wisdom and guidance. And now that you've dealt with the bubbly stuff, you may feel the need to reconnect with your body and get acquainted with consensus reality again. For this, you might want to eat something. Energy bars, fruit, nuts, chocolate, a bun or pastry or a sandwich are all good options. She reminds you to take some sips of water too. And you may want to see this time of eating and drinking as a toaster celebration. So consider making special foods ahead of time. And if any beings helped you with your work, you could break off a piece of food and bury it outside or burn it in your cauldron as an offering of thanks. Or you could pour some of your drink on the ground outside into an offering bowl or onto your altar cloth to be absorbed. And your work is done. It's a lot. There are a lot of things to consider and choose. But you don't have to choose them all. Please don't choose them all. And that's why I decided to end with this segment. I promised to share with you some of my simples. And note, I am a medieval and Renaissance scholar. So I know the original medieval meaning of a simple, which was one medicinal herb or any medicine made from one medicinal herb, especially through tonics and teas, salves, poultices, ointments, or lotions. That's the original definition of a simple, but I've expanded it to cover several workings in my practice. I choose to use the term for the simplest one to two, maybe three step workings. It includes my intention, maybe when and where, one or two, okay, maybe three correspondences, and really the doing and the saying of the thing. And they make me happy throughout the day. One of them is to take an herbal bath in the dark and meditate on one or two, maybe three, lit candles. Another favorite simple is that I commonly stir cream and sweetener into my morning coffee with a cinnamon stick to bring sweetness or spiciness to my life. And I ask for clairvoyance or clarity of thought 
um, maybe a sweet romantic encounter with my husband in that day or an inspired scene in the romance novel I'm working on. It's a simple diosal stir that's clockwise to bring the energy into me. If I did a Wittershins or counterclockwise stir, that would serve me to send some energy outward. So I stir the energy and intentions out into the world around. I either think my thought or whisper them or sometimes speak them aloud. I give words to my intention as I stir, often 13 times, and then I drink the energy in. Simple, but commonly effective too. Use tea and an edible and appropriately correspondent herb that you like, dried or whole sprig, for your own intention. It's a great start to your day. I've talked about my daily dog walk and protection spell in episode five. That's a simple, it's a simple ritual. And I pretty much give you my whole elaborate routine just so you can see how it goes. But some days it's very basic. Some days it's whole hog. Oh, sending my love. After I kiss someone I love deeply, like Button or my daughters or my sister, I kiss my fingertips after they've left my sight. And then I turn my hand and flutter my fingers in their direction, fluttering my kiss and its love into the air about them, sending that love after them as protection and comfort throughout their day. There may or may not be words to your spells, but gestures are also a strong form of communication. I've talked about dressing my colors and dabbing my scents into my lava stone bracelets, adding intention to my day based on the correspondences of that day of the week. And probably my favorite simple of all, as a teacher of over 30 years, this would be the snow day dance. It is intuitive and joyful and it involves whole body movement. There really aren't words, but there are a whole lot of hopeful thoughts and imaginings. I envision a deep, thick snow coming down, oh, at about 3 or 4 or 5 a.m. From 3 to 5 a.m. is about the perfect timing. I know it's not always kind to everybody else, but there are thousands of students who are, I'm certain, thankful that I have done that snow dance through the years. So, simples, very simple and very happy. That concludes our episode. Thank you for listening, and I hope you've gained the confidence to create your own personal spells for any number of intentions. I would especially like to thank one of our listeners, Andrea, for suggesting today's topic, specifically the part about raising energy and also sending kind words along with it. Oh, and I also want to give a quick shout out to Shannon, who likewise sent sweet and supportive words my way. Remember, you can also email me at hestermakepeace at gmail.com. That's all one word, H-E-S-T-E-R-M-A. K-E-P-E-A-C-E at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode or any episodes, drop me a line or share our podcast with like-minded folks. You could even leave a kind review and a few stars. But most especially, I'd love for you to create and cast a spell of your own and keep track of how well it works and then post about it on my shiny new Facebook page. Just search for me, Hester Makepeace. 
the Cottage Witch.